Hello, and welcome to this, another episode of Frame and Reference. I'm your host, Kenny McMillan, and today we've got a bit of a special one for you. Uh, obviously, this is primarily a cinematography podcast, but like I said at the beginning of this season, I was going to attempt to take um, some opportunities to talk to other departments that interested me. So production design, obviously, has been um, an obvious one because production design and cinematography go so uh, hand in glove oftentimes. And next week, uh, we're talking to another production designer. But this week, we've got Lucinda Wright, who is the costume designer for The Witcher season three. Um, and I know absolutely nothing about costuming. So I thought it would be fun to uh, talk to someone who, you know, is very well outside of my wheelhouse and, and potentially learn something. Uh, and I feel like we did. We certainly had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. Um, she also did season one of Doctor Who which I was very excited uh, to talk to her about because um, I love Doctor Who. Uh, and also, um, her husband's a DP, so she knows more about our collective stuff than I do. Uh, so this is a very uh, uh, sort of interviewee kind of interview versus more of a conversation like we like to have, but uh, plenty conversational. At one point, she kind of starts interviewing me. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just a real fun um podcast this week and I think you're going to enjoy it. So I will let you get to enjoying it. Here is my conversation with Lucinda Wright. Uh, the way that usually we start the podcast is by asking um, how you got your creative juices flowing. Were you, you know, for you, did it start with uh, with just liking fashion and that got you into costuming or like how, what what, you know, transferred you in, into the film world? Um, what got me into the film world is that my dad um, was an artist uh, and um he had a great passion for film. So from a very early age, we used to watch film and just how things were made and lots of black and white movies. And we used to play a game where guess the color of the costume, you know, and it was all about, it was actually about um, camera work and things like that. And when I went to college to do a degree, there were no costume courses apart from a theater place. So I thought if I trained as a fashion designer, I'd know how to do contemporary and cut and make. But I also, in my course, while everyone was studying bridal dresses, I studied armor and kind yeah. of really it. And they were like, why are you here? But I thought you might as well just have a go at it. So I was always intended to go into film from a very early age. And it's just how to get in there, really. Was uh, Were there any films that were kind of uh, seminal for you? Any any like ones that stand out as like, oh, that's that's my cup of tea there? <laughs> Oh gosh, um, there was there were so many films. I mean, I know everyone probably costume always says The Wizard of Oz, but oh, that sure. really, that I mean that really was fantastic. But um, a lot of the um, there was a film 1933 Gold Diggers, and all these kind of Buzzley Barkley for all the films that had that real where they'd worked out the dance routines and the, the flow of the costume and all the stare and Ginger Rogers, all those, all those films I was brought up on. And uh, even right through to one of my favourite films is Goodfellows. And that's purely mm. because of the opening shot and the way they go all the way through. And um, 
just films like that and Citizen Kane, all, all the established ones, really, that you probably sure. hear a thousand times in replies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, a lot of the DPs uh, across the board, I'll, I'll say like Star Wars and, uh, you know, we got a couple like Matrixes, but it's mm-hmm. <laughs> it's always like the action fantasy films that I think draw people <laughs> in the most, <laughs> at least on this side. I was um, some, I'm sorry. I was no, going to say ahead. I was on The Witcher to work with Remain, our DOP. He was absolutely fantastic. And yeah. I used to keep saying to him, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't even see the costume. So he was just the best. Yeah. So you said uh, before we started recording that your your husband was a, a DP. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, started, I, he was the focus puller. And then um, he made it up into a DOP. But when we changed from film and went into the tape, he kind of lost the love of it. So uh but uh, yeah, cameras has always been a uh, a passion of mine. Yeah, <clears throat> I can see how uh, tape would you know if we went straight from film to like today's digital cameras, I'm sure the transition would have been easier. But the mm. tape era was certainly <laughs> no, <laughs> tough. it killed it killed and and for costume it was really important because with film everything was softer and like furs and leathers, and then when tape came in, it was like oh, you had to really re-evaluate what you were going to put in front of that camera because it was i thought it was brutal myself at first yeah. then you was kind it, of get used to it. was it just because of that kind of hyper sharpness like costumes mm-hmm. were just really starting to ping off or yeah yeah and um it it was just it was a big shock i thought for me but but you kind of acclimatized to these things and think right yeah. but uh, i'm pleased that i did work in on film because it was a lovely medium. Yeah, I uh, hold on. Let's. Aaron showed up. <laughs> um, <clears throat> something that I love about uh, living in Los Angeles, and I'm sure it, this happens in other cities, uh, but you'll go to the theater and they have costume displays out in the lobby, so you can see um, various films. You know, the, uh, uh-huh. ostensibly the real costume. And it's always mm-hmm. been fun to kind of get up close and see like, oh, there's like I remember they had uh, one for the new James Bond film. They had James's suit. Mm-hmm. One of them. And you could see the little uh, stunt pick points. Yeah, you know, it was clearly a stunt suit. And there was like the holes there and like just saying. But something that's always fascinated me is is the texture of costumes. Because um, I don't think in, in normal life, I, I feel like all of our clothes are so slick and then you get to mm-hmm. film and everything has some kind of texture on it yeah i mean that's that's the important thing in costume for breakdown is that i always like to have all the costumes it's a bit of a running joke with my team that i never ever buy anything washed and it's like you know i don't want any soap powder on that truck from day one and everything has to be so grimy and because that's what needs to be picked up on the camera and so I have a great breakdown team and we just it's so important to get that right for me so because it's got to be realistic and um, I really can't bear that look like it's just as I call it like they've just walked out the wardrobe department you know they've practically got the coat you know it's the suit is so clean and it's it's not a good look if you're doing something that is fantasy or historical needs to look grimy so yeah, you do that. I use a lot of leather on The Witcher, uh, which uh, I love. It's it's a brilliant, brilliant fabric. Great, 
great thing to use. Yeah. Are there um, sort of fabrics that, uh, you know, this podcast is ostensibly uh, educational to a degree. And, and I think anyone listening who's maybe in a student zone or indie um, would love some advice on like, are, are there some fabrics that are more, I guess, cinematic than others? Like, are there certain fabrics or certain textures that you're like, that does not go in a show kind of across the board? Uh-huh. I think I like using linen, but you've got to be quite strong on your opinion because it will instantly look like you've been run over. But if that's the look you want, something lived in, it's. I think linen's fantastic. Um, uh, like I say, leathers and satins, you've got to be careful. It, it really is dictated by what the character is and mm. what you want to have the light bounce off. Um, like in The Witcher with uh, Geralt's armour, it was really important to get that that moulded leather with those studs and get that light bouncing off of it. So, um, yeah, I think you just follow the script, really, and, and see what the characters should have. You know, there's uh, something... Uh, I tend to jump around a lot. Um, but something that I think kind of gets forgotten about a lot is the importance of silhouette. And Gerald has a has an amazing silt. Like you know, you can see, you know, it's him the second he walks into a frame. You're like, there he is. You know, how how and uh, how important is that to you? And and do you try to build that with every character you have, or do, is it more just like certain heroes kind of? I don't know, mean um, that. For me, every single character has to have their own personal silhouette, especially if you've got so many characters. You know, and their color palette. That you need to know who they are because on many scenes there's so many people rushing past you're like whoa and with Geralt with Henry and his physique it's literally just to show off his physique and he's got amazing shoulders and he works at it and it was just to make that new armor I did for season two a second skin but yeah every single character should have their silhouette so you know and really when you first see a character on film that should tell you what the character is, not unless you're doing like a double bluff. But that, right. without them even speaking, you should be able to sum up who they are, I think, in contemporary and in historical or fantasy. Yeah, you know, uh, a couple of the production designers I've talked to have really espoused the importance of like the place that someone lives or, or you know, the place that is that character's place should in all ways reflect that character which is such an obvious thing to think about, but I think it's easy to forget like, oh yeah, every, you know, cup, every light is mm. there for a reason. It's not just like to look cool. Yeah. That's why it's important to work with, as I said, Romaine about how he was going to light it and, and the sets with Andrew and with makeup. It's so important to make that character look like they belong there. So it, it does, you know, it all matches in and it's not like they've just wandered off the street into a set. It, it should just all the colors and textures should work together as a team. Yeah. So talk to me more about um, your interaction with the cinematographer, because I feel like it's not, you know, in my imagination, it doesn't seem like uh, you two would talk a lot, but it sounds like uh, those oh, well, conversations actually happen all the time. Well, it was quite funny because when I didn't do season one, so when I started season two um, and I started my prep, he was the first person I went looking for, the DOP. Mm. 
And I, I went into the office and I said, oh, where? And they were like, oh, he's over there. And it was really funny because he said, oh, I want to come see you about what the costumes, because he was new to it too. And from day one, we literally would talk endlessly. I mean, yeah, I love cameras anyway, but endlessly about costume and how it was being lit. And he was so clever that if I said, I think this outfit, could you help or can we reflect that? And that's why he was a dream to work with. Um, you don't often get that. Mm. There's not many people you, uh, on other productions. That's not the first person I would go to. But because of the Witcher world where it is dark, I just wanted to make sure and work with Andrew, the set designer, you know, production designer, that we, we got the whole look right. Because season one was very fantasy, but I think for season two, we went into a darkness, especially after COVID. When the scripts came back, it went into a real dark. So I wanted to make sure we were all, all working together on that. Yeah. You know, are there, uh, what, <laughs> again, jumping around everywhere. Uh, what about cinematography excites you besides obviously the proximity to your husband? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't go out. Um, uh, I just, I just, I just get, so I just love going to the cinema and I just love that moment where you think, Oh, we're going to watch this. I think it's always that element. Are you going to be surprised? Do you know that's coming? And I also like to go and see a film where I don't I don't think about the costume. I just want yeah. to enjoy the whole thing. Um, I think when you start looking at the costume for myself, you're like, oh, it's lost me. But um, it's just how, just seeing how other people approach these ideas and you think, well, would I have thought of that? So it's, uh, it's challenging, but it's also entertaining. It's fantastic. Yeah. Are there any uh, films where the cinematography really stands out to you and like uh, kind of you could point to as being like <laughs> maybe some more DP should watch these films? <laughs> well, I think I'm going to say a very obvious one, but the original Blade Runner was oh, such sure. an eye opener. And I remember I was filming up north in England and we were at this doing this night shoot and I suddenly looked across and there was this amazing power station. And this was like in the 90s. And I looked across and I thought, Jesus, it's like um, it's like Blade Runner. And then I actually found out that Ridley Scott and his brother were born there. It was where they were born. And I thought, I wondered if they ever he ever looked out across there because it just looked like it. It was stunning. And I always think that Blade Runner. But there are so many films to yeah. choose. That's the first one I think of. I think that's the first one a lot of DPs think of that, that film had so much amazing atmosphere and costumes, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I think that film definitely has the, uh, yeah, like I said, the atmosphere, it, because even, you know, sometimes I'll, I watch that film and I'm like, I'm, I'm starting to get bored, <laughs> but you know, maybe the pacing's a little weird, but like you can't beat the, the world building in that film. But it's so clever because all the costumes are back to the 40s. Yeah, it's a futuristic. Right. I always think you go backwards. I mean, I'm sure you've heard this before. You go backwards if you want to do futuristic. Because people oh, have okay. to identify with the clothes. Because if you start doing the old silver foil, you've lost it, I always think. Right. No, that actually makes total sense. That, I hadn't thought about that. Like, if you want to make something super futuristic, it comes off as cheesy if you don't grounded in in mm. something here yeah 
Yeah. Um, you know, I was looking I was looking at your IMDb and I was excited because uh, you actually worked on a show that uh, some people might be surprised is one of my favorite shows. Uh, but you did the first season of Doctor Who, the reboot. Yeah. And that that was that was five of us sat in a room say and we watched the old Doctor Who's of like the 80s, you know, when it really lost the plot. And we were sitting there going, and I remember people saying, because I'd done a really serious political drama before, and then they said, what are you doing? I stole the reboot Doctor Who. And people were like, are you sure? Yeah. And, and I went, yeah, because I, treat, I treated every episode like a drama. And it was so exciting to sit with Russell and Phil. And we just sat there. And, of course, we didn't realise it was going to be so popular. Um, but it was... It was so exciting to do it because in those days it was just me and makeup, no prosthetics. We kind of did it together. And I mean, it was a long time ago now, about 20 years or whatever. But um, it's nice to hear that it's one of your favorite programs, but it was exciting to do. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually the the thing that me and my girlfriend uh, first met on. You know, we met on one of those apps and, hers, uh-huh. and it, her little thingy was like, you know, I can't remember, but she said she liked Doctor Who. I was like, "Ooh, me too!" And then, <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. That's and really that was like four years ago. Oh um, my god! It's funny. I told her I was like, yeah, "I'm, I'm, I'm gonna talk to the costume designer for the first season," and just without skipping a beat, she goes, "I love Rose's giant pants." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the weird thing about Rose, she had to start from somewhere like an ordinary girl, and then she got more and more superhero. And Billy did get more and more slimmer, actually, and more refined and physical. Um, But uh, I remember on the very first day of filming that, we were in a disused hospital and Chris Eccleson was chasing a pig in a spacesuit down the corridor. And after (laughs) the day, he went, I've made it. I've made it to Doctor Who. This is what it's like. I'm chasing a pig in a Russian spacesuit. And... uh, yeah, we all just laughed, but um, yeah, we didn't know it was going to be so big, but it was brilliant to work on. I loved it. Really loved it. I was, I was wondering, cause like, yeah, when it, when it, the reboot happened, no one was necessarily looking forward. Yeah. So did that, did that lower the stress level or were you able to kind of go in that and, and take risks and do your own thing or, or did the weight of what was, was formerly a very um, formative show for people kind of still hit you? Well, it was it was great because Russell gave me a lot of the writing Russell T. Davis gave me a lot of freedom. Like I would do like a um a portfolio for each episode and like one one episode we had like it said um a queen and her two aides in white cloaks and I said, Well let's make her a tree queen and let's I just got all the stuff in I wanted like samurai, let's make them bodyguards and and he just let me kind of do what I wanted to do, which was very brave of him really and uh, uh, I mean it was quite stressful for a year at one point you had like four directors and they would like you were doing so many episodes at the same time and as a designer I usually start not on episode one if something huge is coming up in episode four I start my prep on that so that by the time you start running into it but um, we were allowed to do a lot of things because no one really was that interested to be honest and they were like oh it's going to be the creaky old wobbly walls and people in 
foam and Christ knows what. But right. it's like big. I base that on like a 1950s spacesuit, you know. And there was trying to make it look. I try to treat it with as much respect as a film and a drama to make it believable, and not not just treat it like as a kids' program, which it kind of dissolved into in the 80s. Right. And I apologise if I offend anyone out there, but it, you know, it did. <laughs> I think they, I think they agree. Um, yeah. You know, what was the, speaking of leather, what was the kind of decision to make Eccleston, uh, his, his well, you know, very undoctory to just be in a, in a leather, uh, you know, well, not a biker the, jacket, but yeah. The thing, the thing with that is it's all about the, the person who plays it and the character. And when I met Chris, I thought, well, yeah, you're Northern. And he had very, a strange silhouette and the Doctor Who's before have been very fanciful, very colourful, almost like a, well, like a comedy. So I wanted, the thing about Chris is very northern and realistic and gritty. So mm. I thought, well, let's do, let's keep it basic, you know. And I did, and this is a bit of a confession, I did make him a leather coat. And um, it, we were doing the run up and about four days before filming, I kept looking at this coat and I tried it on him and something I'll never do again. I looked at it and I whipped it off and I went, no, that ain't going to work. Now, that isn't what you do to an actor just before a big shoot. Oh, and he, sure. he just stared at me and literally went white. And I said, no, we've got to start again. He said, we've got four days. So I started again and I actually found it was um, a World War II naval um, jacket. It was... German, I think, actually, and it was because he's meant to be nine hundred years old, and it was just a right. very, very battered jacket I found, and I said that's what you're going to use, and then we tried it on, and then it all made sense. But there's a tip: don't ever do that to your lead man. I'll never do that again. It was yeah. horrific. He was just like dissolved. Bless him. You know that uh, that does bring up a good. Uh, you didn't design the the Cybermen and stuff, right? No, they were from way back. Because okay. like they kept getting updated, but maybe that was just more in the recent mm. one. Um, but uh, you bring up a good point about how costume informs character. You know, I've heard like one anecdote was that like, oh, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Tarantino will put like receipts in the pockets from like where this character got their breakfast really? coffee or, oh. what you know, uh, and uh, I'm wondering, kind of, do the conversations between you and the, um, how much conversation is happening between you and the actors? Like, are they telling you what their character wants or are you kind of informing them or what's the sort of symbiotic relationship there? Well, on, on most programs or most films, you know, you meet them and I'm always looking at them and I ask them, what do they think the character is? Because 99% of it is how they're going to walk in it, how they're going to portray and I always say, like, I can tell on camera, if you don't like this costume, it's in your eyes. And I'm not going to mm. not gonna chase you around a truck in the morning saying wear it because you're not going to wear it. So it has to come from them. And I, especially on The Witcher, joining, joining it, I kept saying to them, what's the character? What do you do? What thing? So for me, if I can get as much out of them as possible, then you kind of work with them and you kind of, you will get the best out of them because they feel part of it. I mean, that should ha is how it should work. Sometimes it doesn't because sometimes 
if I'm honest, some actors only see themselves. Uh, I mean, I put right. my head on the yeah, but they won't get past that character, and that's when you have to kind of keep saying, "This is the character." So it's a, it's a kind of working relationship, you know, and usually it works really well because they're they're playing the part. As I say to them, "You're wearing it, not me." So you've got to be comfortable in it, really. Yeah, the I was, that brings up a good point, like the sort of vanity of of an actor, you know, whoever um, does. That could I could see how that could often get in the way of them wanting, you know, especially if they're supposed to play a, a an unattractive character. You're like, all right, here's your burlap sack, and they're like, but I don't, <laughs> I don't want it. It very rarely happens because they've accepted the role; they understand it. But it, right. I won't lie, it can it can creep in, but you have to kind of quickly stamp on that one if you're lucky. Um, but right. then you've also got to understand. There's a line, there's a line I find in a fitting when you know you're not going to win and you just think, well, do you know what? I'll just have to go with it. You've got to be realistic, you know. It's not life and death. It's like, okay, if they want to be like that, fine. And you just have to trust, you know, you're not going to force them into it. So, yeah. And, well, and, you, ex you experience that as like a DP and especially like a colorist, like certain actors uh, the way it was described to me is you need to do your friend a favor, you know, sometimes yeah. you, that's a good description out a little bit, you know, fix, yeah. sometimes yeah. you need to do them a little bit of a favor. So I can imagine that that extends to costume, yeah. and especially makeup. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You're, that's, that's a, that's a very good point and a good way of phrasing it. Yeah. Um, let's see what else I have. Uh, oh no, I just, it was in my head. Where did it go? <laughs> Wasn't that? I have notes. Oh, um, you know, production can be really uh, stressful, obviously. Um, but having seen like behind the scenes footage of props being built or costuming rooms or anything, that seems like a wonderfully like collaborative, probably still stressful, but like a collaborative sort of um, that seems like the most fun to me, the actual building of the you know, costumes and props and whatever in question. Is that the case or is that all just still nightmare? <laughs> just oh, like production. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, I've, I've, I'm at work now and we're just making this outfit and I've just, you can literally just go and choose those fabrics and then you talk through it. And I've just been in the workroom and I've just seen another outfit being made and I've been doing this a long time and I still get that immense thrill of, Oh my God, it, it, you know, it's exciting. You can just, if you're given that license to do certain things, and it, it's just brilliant. And then we've just been film, filming a really big scene for about a month, and they're all in one really special outfit, all the extras. It's all been made. It's massive. And um, it's just a thrill to see. And it's like on season two, every time I put Henry into that armour, every day I was like, Jeez, you know, it doesn't get much better than this. I mean, I, I, I mean, I know I'm talking about my own work, but he wore it so well. I mean, sure. God, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he's, you know, not bad to look at. Um, how many <laughs> costumes are you making? Uh, like per, I'm sure like extras are only getting you know one or two, but like how many costumes are you making per character that all need to match? 
Well, on, on season two, um, Henry had eight sets of armour for the stages of breakdown and for stunts. So it was eight, mm. there were like little pods of him all up the truck. Um, all the characters in The Witcher have stunt doubles, doubles, because uh, we quite often do the end of the fight and the loads of blood, loads of monsters. I was asked this the other day, and I should actually think about it. There are there are hundreds. There are hundreds, like with the Nelfgaard armor. Um, we have had 60 made for season two, and with um, Kahir Eamon, who plays the winged helmet um, soldier. I mean, there are loads, um, but they're just brilliant to be able to be allowed to do it and go into that different world. So there are, I might even say thousands, there are loads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just imagine like, uh, I've said this before on this podcast, but like I, I'm a DP, but I realized very late in life, probably when I was like 27 <clears throat> that I, uh, should have gotten into props or, really? or visual like effects. It. Um, because I like working with my hands. I like building things. I like um, you've answered it there. So why didn't you do that? Um, I didn't know it was an option, which is funny because a lot of people don't think that even being a DP is really an option or working no. in film in general. Um, but yeah, in film school, it was like, you know, you had to pick a job and it was like, you know, director, writer, editor, DP. Oh, well, that's and a bit. So, well, um, come on, be a DP, DOP. That's pretty good. Oh, no, I love it. Um, it's it's definitely and it's like the only you know, it's the only thing going on in my head all the time. But it's 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 been um, positive in that uh, I don't take things super personally if someone doesn't like my cinematography work because it's not my first passion. Right. It's like my second. Oh, so that, that helps. But um, now I ask you, what is your one of your favorite films then? Um, so uh, this will be a retread for anyone who listens a lot, but, um, the matrix was really big for me growing up. Why? Um, the, for that, well, a, it was the, just the fantasy of the whole thing. And, and, you know, (laughs) the, that film is, is tailor made for a teenage boy. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of guns, everyone's got cool leather jackets and stuff, the music, you know, um, but, uh, you know, the production design, especially like the Nebuchadnezzar looks really, really cool mm-hmm. and, and all that techno uh, stuff was just and obviously the effects. And that's great cinematography in that one, too. Um, Fight Club was one. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The original? <laughs> yeah. The original? Yeah, I that one was big for me. Wilder. I should hope so. The original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can understand um, that. And it's all kind of, you know, Star Wars, obviously. And that was the thing that, like, I figured out, again, late in life, was it was cooler to make the lightsaber than to film it. <laughs> like, so I found you... myself... Go ahead. So do you do any props now? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes I, you know, will build little things for myself. But um, I think that tinkering makes its way into um, other avenues you know rigging up cameras especially like or or uh um, i have a 3d printer you know making stuff around the house it's just that whatever that compulsion is to to manipulate things um just kind of goes into everything else you know Uh, interesting that's really uh, that that's a really good 
view to be a deer and prop making. That's that's that covering it all, isn't it? Really, I, I suppose. I mean, it makes it makes. Uh, I suppose it does make me more interested in the whole, because prop making and, and production design and costume design are all kind of related. And since yeah, and since I have an interest in that, like I this is something that's probably not great is I will, uh, nitpick, <laughs> you know, which is not my, not my job, but uh, that doesn't quite look, you know, but it's, I shouldn't be doing that because that's not my department. No, no, no. I mean, that's important. You know, it's like when I started working with Romaine, he said, Oh, show me the kind of colors and the, and we, we did camera tests and things and you should really kind of thrash that out because I can't think, can't think of anything worse than, spending all your time doing costumes and then you, and then you hear a heart rendering scream from behind the camera. No, we don't want to go down that path. So you kind of thrash it out really. Yeah. yeah. Actually, the, uh, jumping back to the doctor who thing, the, the lighting in that show was aggressive. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And that was God bless him. A real old timer DOP. And, uh, he, yeah, he was very particular about how it was going to look. And it weren't shifting. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to uh, another DP who had worked on Doctor Who, but it was one of the slightly more recent seasons. Um, and he was saying, like, having watched the the reboot stuff, and he said, <laughs> I think he knew the guy. I think he said something similar to that. Like, <laughs> yeah. And especially he- having to do the, the tape, going back to the tape idea. I remember I did shuffle up once and kind of, politely said is there any way and the look i got i went no it's okay i won't bother i just turned around <laughs> and I thought, no i'm not even going to go there i'm not going to chance me on that's how it's going to look okay i'll work and i do remember changing quite a few things to make it work because yeah. you can't always win and you think well i've got to do something else quickly yeah that's interesting yeah hmm. Yeah. Oh, I did want to, uh, on the props thing again, I jump around everywhere. Um, I did want to give some of my friends credit. So, uh, an outlet I have is two of my friends work for now, three of them work for legacy effects. So they're doing all of the, you know, star Wars and guardians of the galaxy. And that must be fantastic. I get to live like, and a friend of mine works for prop store of London. So I get to sort of vicariously uh. live through them. Um, and uh, get the inside scoop. My uh, f- my friend uh, Carrie made uh, Baby Yoda's ears. That's a well, fun claim to fame. <laughs> well, that is a claim to fame. And what I'm going to say to you, when you asked me about what films and you said about costumes in the cinemas, one of my passions is I've always collected lobby cards and film posters. Sure. And I've, I've got the um, Blade Runner and I've got Yoda on the wall with his ears and next time i see him i'll give him a little little tap <laughs> but um yeah that's great oh i like that that's a good yeah. story you know i was asking i was working for this michelin star restaurant for a minute shooting some stuff and i was asking the bar manager like what is it about top tier food or top tier drinks programs like who sets that tone you know the same thing with fashion is like who decides you know, those wacky runway shows that they do that no one's ever going to buy these clothes. Like who decides that that's the high fashion? Is that just kind of in the ether or what, what is that? Well, I hope this is the right answer, but when I was doing fashion and I was pushing everything as much as I could, 
college. Um, I suddenly realised that they do those theatrical things for the runway. And then by the time it hits the shops, it's so watered down. That's mm. how I survived at college, because I'd push it as far as I could. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we can see that later on, died down a bit. But um, I think it's the way everyone just, everyone can have an opinion and everyone can take what they like from it. So you can go wild or you could go for the watered down version. So it's a strange one, fashion. I mean, it comes around. It, You know, I remember I, when I first started filming in the 80s and I said, God, this period, it's contemporary, it's going to come back and haunt us. And, oh, you know, those power suits and that. At the yeah. time, I was like, yo. But it was the, I think it was the last distinctive look for fashion, I think. I mean, it's, I say, it's years ago now, but you know instantly when you're watching an 80s film, don't right. you? You know it comes towards you costume-wise. Yeah, yeah, very strong. Is there, I'm sure this is the case, but um, has costuming changed sort of uh, over the history of film? I Obviously it has, but like, I suppose better question is in what ways has costuming changed over the years? Have costumes become more elaborate? Cause you know, I'll see like films from the fifties or something and you know, like a sword and sandal films and they do look very, we got these from the universal costume department. You saw these in four other films. <laughs> there yeah. is no difference. Well, it's, that's an interesting question because I was watching the other day, I watched Ivanhoe, which I watched as a kid, and I remember thinking, God damn, God damn it. It is so brilliant. I watched it and I was I was shocked. It was so just made. You could almost see the pins in it. It was so new. It was so comical in a way, you know, George Sanders was wearing his outfit. I thought, how oh, they got him in that, I do not know. It was just, you know, Liz Taylor looked, looked amazing, but she had a corset on from the 50s. And it's like, I just think you see it in different eyes. And I think, for me, I think costume is more people will go for more like the realism now and make it dirty. You look back on those films, I mean, not every film. I mean, I was just thinking another favourite film of mine is Night of the Hunter. Mm. That, that's a good one. And um, But I think people are more, I don't know, they seem to be more braver, you know, to make it look realistic and simple. But then each period had a different look. You know, the 30s was to get away from the Depression. The, the 50s was that bright, you know, and the Technicolor and all that came in. So I suppose each decade has that certain look. Well, and it makes me think, too, because like um, if you watch older films, a lot of times there's stuff, you know, maybe not a boom in the shot, but maybe there are pins in the costume because they no one was no one expected DVD. You know, yeah. you were, it was going to it was going to go by in a second. There's plenty of uh, shots in movies where you could tell the DP went, that's going to be on screen for one second. Let's just get it out of here and no one's going to know. And then yeah. cut to 40 years later, we've got Blu-ray and we can pause it, you know. Yeah. And the continuity is shocking. I was watching something the other day and I thought, oh, my God, not only have they crossed the line, but they've kind of like what the other side of the room. And I thought she's over there. And we thought. As you're right, they were banged out, those B-movies. They were going to be seen at the cinema, and, and no one ever thought, oh, they never even dreamt of it. But now when you watch it with different eyes, you're like, they really didn't give a damn about continuity of certain 
scenes, but if they worked, and they, you know, they look great. Yeah. You know, that, that, uh, brings up a thought. Um, there's a, do you know, uh, guy, uh, Adam Savage from the Mythbusters? No, I don't. So he worked, um, is very popular American show, uh, educational show, but, uh, he's got his own YouTube channel now. And, uh, he, he worked in visual effects for ILM and, and worked on the oh, second, eight, uh, first couple star Wars is the, the new ones, mm-hmm. uh, like one through three and, uh, the new the new matrix is the first two or the, um, two and three. Uh, but he's a big proponent of cosplay and making props and stuff. And he has like all speaking of Blade Runner, like all these Blade Runner blasters. And he was like, yeah, I had, you know, he went to the movie a bunch of times just to try to figure out how to make Deckard's pistol. And it was awful. Didn't look right at all. But then, you know, VHS comes out and he can pause it and kind of. And uh, I'm wondering, have you seen because I've seen plenty of Witcher cosplay. Um, have you seen any that's kind of impressed you or, or anything like that that you're stoked on? I'll tell you something. We, I was very lucky. They took me, Andrew, and we went with Lauren, the showrunner, to the launch of um, uh, Witcher 2 in Luca at the Comic-Con last October. Now, I'd never been to a Comic-Con, and we walked into this, this lovely Italian village, and there was this massive, in the square, massive queue. And I went, oh, what's that? And they went, oh, they're going to see you to talk, you know, all the fans and that. And I was walking along with Kim, who played Vesemir in it. Kim mm. from um, Killing Eve. And we were walking along. And I suddenly turned to look around, and there was a man dressed exactly in the costume that Kim had worn. And we, it was like, oh, I was just like, and I suddenly looked around. And they were all dressed in the costumes. And it was the most weirdest thing in the world. And I thought, oh, bless them. They've really, really liked this. And um, I've had lots of emails and things about, you know, what colour is this? What colour is that? I'm making that. And I always reply, because if they're going to put their heart and soul on it, God bless them. But um, it was a different world. I didn't know it existed. I really yeah. didn't. It's there is entire uh, replica prop forum is one uh, speaking specifically of props, but just the for those who want like the ultimate and accuracy, uh, good lord, that people are so specific. I mean, freeze framing things, just analyzing for days, trying to. I've seen people try to figure out what lens something was shot on to get the dimensions right. It, oh, because if a lens is too wide, the the suit will look too big, or whatever. So they'll like figure out, you know, okay, so on, you know, oh, they shot the whole film on a 40 mil. Okay, so we can figure out the distortion on that. So we know that's not two feet wide. That's actually a foot and a half or, you know. My God, that is serious. The, the and it's, I mean, it's such, cosplay, especially in it, and for something like The Witcher, where it's so, um, you know, steeped in obviously the video game and, and fan culture and stuff. Um, it's a really fun way to, I don't personally do it, but it's a fun, it's clearly a fun way to um, express how much you love something and, and uh, you know, you can't act in the world, but you can dress like it, you know, and that's, and it's, and yeah. that's becoming more acceptable is, is very, or accepted rather, is very cool, I think. It's, it's an interesting thing, because when I started it, I made a huge, a big thing about not looking at the game not looking at anything that or and quite a few cast would turn up and they lurch towards me with some kind of artwork and I'd go no 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 and I refused 
and I'd have meetings with Lauren, the showrunner, and I'd say, I'm not going to look at it, but it's by design anywhere near it. I didn't want to, because once you look at it, like yourself, once you've seen something, it goes, it burns into those retinas and it's there. It's at the back right. of that head. So uh, even now on Witcher 3, they say, oh, I don't, you know, we might, you know, a director will come in and say, I've seen this and a game. And I'm like, no. And it, it you're not being rude. You're just like, I, I don't want to repeat it on right. the screen. But it is interesting how 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 passionate people are, as you say, to get it right for them. Yeah. Are the uh, does I think I saw this somewhere, but maybe I was wrong when I was doing research. It, does CD Projekt Red like own the costumes anyway? Like, would you guys have to get permission from the game studio to remake the costumes? Well, that's why I, w- I wouldn't want to remake a look that's already done. That's yeah. why I avoided it and. Um, I remember saying to someone, oh, I'm not going to look at the game. And they went, yeah, all right. And that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> Easy for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They did come up and pat me on the back the other day, marketing. and Because we were talking about marketing. And I said, oh, look, someone said, oh, have you seen this? And I went, what is it? And they kind of looked at me like, oh, poor girl. She doesn't go out much. I said, look, I don't watch the game. I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm not watching the game. You know. And they went, oh, that's, and they did say thank you. And I thought, well, that's nice. But now, mm-hmm. after talking to you, I realize why they were saying thank you. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it's... Oh, sure, yeah. Well, and it's just such an enormous game that, like... Yeah. Who's, who knows? And there's so many mods. Like, if you were to do your own research, maybe you're finding some fan-made thing that someone injected into the game, and you're like, let's make this. And everyone goes, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, someone did show me a picture the other day, and I went, "If you think I'm having that, no." You know, because so because in games and fantasy, you can just draw and make up anything. If you're going to put that on a human or a person, that's a that's a different world. A big part, uh, which I'm sure you've ran into with uh, Geralt, is um, models, game models. This happens, I've noticed this with cosplayers and prop makers and stuff. They can uh, clip into their own, what's called clipping. So like um, if the armor, the armor doesn't have to uh, exist in reality. So it can move maybe like in here, let's say under the arm. It can just move straight through the character model. You know, they can, can, because no one will ever see it. Uh, well, that, that's interesting because when, um, when I met Henry, who I worked really closely for the armor, I he sat down and he spoke about the armor for season one. And I went, okay, right, okay. And so the big thing was to make the armor so that Henry could put his hand behind his back and get his sword. And that was a really big thing. And also for him to move and get in and out of it. And that's why I brought the buckles in. So we just, he could be released and it was like a second skin. And I remember we were doing one shot, I don't know, episode six or something. And then he said, and I'll put my arm up and I'll get my sword. And they were like, yeah. And, and and I was just like, if you knew how important that was to both of us. And we were just like, his arms up. And they were like, yeah, all right, don't get too excited. We're not going to do that shot. And go, no, you don't realize. Because before he couldn't do anything. And it was, uh, that was a good moment. But that sounds weird about the armor that they can move it around. Well, it's just because in video games. You, you know. do whatever you like. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, you know, he, he can go like this and it, he oh. can have five massive metal plates, you know, going down his arm and it won't, 
physics doesn't need to apply. You know, this yeah. is more important than, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but I could see, you know, cause some people will like get going back to cosplay. Some people will get game models and 3d print them or whatever. And then they're wearing it and they're like, well, this doesn't work. You know, <laughs> they're just locked oh. in this position. Um, I, I, I do remember when we were filming it, a couple of my team came up, they had their phone and they went, we're not sure if you're going to laugh or cry. And I went, what is it? And they showed me somewhere abroad. They, I think it was a cosplay. They'd made it already, the armor. And I just mm. looked, no, let's put that away. We're not going to go there. But I, then I thought, oh, how sweet. Someone's actually tried to do it. But it's weird. I, I find yeah. it hard well, to think. We'll just... We'll just put your uh, email and home phone number on the uh, oh, yeah. show notes. And, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, my uh, my girlfriend, who I spoke about earlier, is actually a professional dancer, and she you know she teaches dance and stuff like that. I went to school for it, and uh, when I told her I was interviewing you, she had she mentioned something that I didn't even realize. She said when she was in college, they didn't have like a costuming. Uh, workbook. They didn't have, they, there was no like textbooks or resources. So she had to make her own. There's a binder somewhere over here where she had to make her own um, costuming resource. Was that, I assume that must have been the same for you. Yeah. I mean, um, because it was fashion, you know, um, I know it sounds really naive, but I couldn't even sew when I got on this course. I mean, which whenever I was in the third year and we'd have, um, people coming to look around, I'd just pull them aside and say, just learn to sew because your life is going to be hell if you can't. Because uh, I used to, you know, it was the classic thing, used to do designs. And then they'd say, yeah, and how'd you get in it, Lucy? You know, and I'm like, oh. So um, there was, <laughs> yeah, we just do it's a the, It's a game model problem, yeah. <laughs> it was a, there was a lot of that in the first year. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just had to – it was a tough course because it was fashion design, 25 of us, one night, and each year they would cut us by half, and they said, you know, only 10 of you will be in the third year, even though you got on the course for a degree. So it was brutal, but then I think that taught me a lot because when you do start – there are moments in costume when people can really, like re – costume I find always an easy target on a film set because everyone can have a view – and quite yeah. often, if an actor goes off on one about the costume, it's nothing to do about the costume. They just want to have a moan. And uh, on a serious note, I think being at college, that taught me to have an inner core to kind of hopefully ride it out. Because if you're a DOP, they can't they can't criticise your lenses or your light. Not oh, that but much. they have the monitor now. Everyone's oh. got the big 24-inch monitor. They're staring at it. Flicking those switches, I, I groan. But um, but I think with costume, because you know you can dress someone on a trailer. By the time they've gone to the set, past the sparks and that, you know, someone just have to say, "Oh, you look a bit lardy," and yeah, you know, whatever. And that, and it, it. By the time the actors got to the set, they're like, "Get me out of here." Right. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, as your girlfriend said, you just have to kind of get your own resources and work at it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is there, uh, you know, you said you're working on the third season now. Iteration mm -hmm. is something that uh, is so important to any artist. But I imagine that, you know, once you're in the production, you it's locked in. You can't iterate any further, but I'm sure you learn a lot. 
Um, is there anything going into this third season that you not obviously if you don't can't share stuff, that's fine. But like uh, generalized anything that you've sort of iterated about any of the costumes that um, or maybe uh, maybe problems that you run into that you had to solve uh, from the first uh, from the second season to the third season. Oh, Mobility it, it, or look or anything like that. Um, when you say problems, those are the kind of things you need to you need to thrash out in the fitting, and yeah. hopefully, when you've done the costume, there aren't those problems. They because if you've got a problem, then it's not going to work on camera. So, um, no, I can't think. I can't think of anything that's reared its ugly head yet. That's well, good. We haven't finished yet, so the um, <laughs> famous last words, I'll walk out and there'll be a heart ranger and scream from the set. But um, right. no, I think, you, I think you always have to have that, that mindset that you can always change stuff and right. never be set in. It's like when you go on location or you go to a set, you know, the first thing you do when you've done your research is like you've got to be willing as a costume designer to suddenly change something. Or the director or or the actor might go, do you know what, today, mm, not feeling it. You've got to be able to move pretty quick and accept it because things will change. They really will. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, and, I, and I remember uh, in an interview you had done, like you had mentioned, like, oh, where are those elixirs coming from? And he was like, it's magic. And you're like, how about we put them on your boot? <laughs> I was like, I just, I mean, poor old Henry, I grilled him, but I was like, where'd they come from? He said, oh, yeah. And I, and I said, well, they've got to come from somewhere. So he said, well, why don't I have something on my leg? And then we did like that kind of bandit kind of, we made a holster. And that was great because he had so much going on top and he had the boots. He need, it actually leveled it. So that we worked together on that. And then on this season, there's a different approach to the elixir because it's a different look, but I'm not going to say. Mm. But um, it is. Everything should be practical. You know, he should be able to look like he can fight in the armour. You should know where those elixirs come from. It, otherwise, why wear something that's not really armour? Really? Right. I think. Are there, uh, are there uh, any sort of... This is the thing that kind of gets me excited about costumes and props and stuff is uh, sort of... Maybe not witness marks, but um, anything is, is there anything in the costumes that you've kind of small touches that do not get camera time, but you're like, I, I put that there and that's for me. Oh, there is something. I did it the other day. I couldn't stop laughing. I thought no one's going to notice by me. Oh, what was it? Oh, it was something. Oh, I can't think. Isn't that annoying? But I remember sitting there, well, standing there on set going, <laughs> That's my little joke. Oh, I'm going to have to get back to you at some point. It's really annoying, but it, uh, I can't think what it was. Damn. But yeah, you do those things and you think no one's ever going to pick up on it. But as you say now with, um, you know, DVDs and that, people watch stuff really closely, don't they? So you have to be yeah. careful. But, um, well, yeah. I'm sure that the, the cosplayers that are super into uh accuracy you know if they if they get wind like oh yeah you know the costume designer put their signature on the inside of one <laughs> panel it's like we got to get it find it you know? <laughs> right you know you're uh obviously nominated for the emmy for this show well deserved um oh, but are that is such a massive thing i can't believe it but thank you very uh, much i mean it's 
they're they're dope looking costumes. Um, but I'm wondering, is there any uh, any shows or movies that you've watched recently that you thought did an excellent job uh, with the costuming that kind of impressed you or or maybe inspired you a little bit? Um, I'm just trying to think. Unfortunately, when you are working on something like this, you literally it's 24 hours and sure. um, and um, oh, I'm trying to think. I uh, can't think at the moment. I think when just, I finish just the- yours. <laughs> yeah, and that sounds dreadful, doesn't it? Oh my god! But no, I'm just just thinking. Um, no, I can't think. That's I need totally to- fair. When I finish filming, I need to go out and back to the cinema. <laughs> Well, you know, that is, uh, we were just talking about that, me and um, another DP, whatever, it's going to come out of order for the, whoever's listening anyway. Uh, and But we were talking about the importance of um, the break, you know, like to, to work yourself, you know, this is a job where you're going to be working in some cases, 12 hour days, 14 hour days, whatever, for an extended period of time. And it's so easy to want to just jump to the next gig. But the, the break thing is so important a to refresh you, but also uh, as part of flow state, you know, the recovery period is crucial to getting back and doing your best work or else, you know, it's diminishing returns. You'll start to do worse work as Mm. you go forward. Yeah, I think you're right. I really do. I mean, I've been very lucky that I've kind of gone from Witcher to a sequel to Witcher because I love it. I really do love it. Um, but I do think I agree with you. You do. You need to stop, even if it's for only a couple of weeks. You just need to get out of that bubble and get into the real world, and then realize how lucky you are in that bubble and jump back in it. But um, I think, yeah, it's really important to take a break and have a breather and look at things differently. Because, like you say, when you ask me. Uh, have I thought of any other films? And I suddenly thought, no, I've literally been doing this for, because of COVID, quite a few years, that continuous. Yeah. So it's very healthy. You should do. You should do. Is uh, Are there any non-film uh, hobbies that you have that you that you enjoy? I'm afraid to say, <laughs> gosh, that's me. I remember years ago, someone asked me that and I just looked at them like they had two heads. I went, what do you want about? They said, what do you do at the weekends? And I was like, I work. What do you do? What do you mean? I go and see films. What do you want about? But um, yeah. no, I, I just, um, no, I just, just love this. Yeah. Luckily, I've been a snowboarder my whole life. So I have like that in me where I need to get out in nature. Thank God it's nature. And I didn't get stuck yeah. in professional video gaming like I was as a kid. <laughs> Oh my god! Oh, snowboarding's great. That's great to do that. Yeah, that's oh, that's that, a big freedom, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it. Well, and it's. I'm sure you've experienced snow. Uh, <laughs> being it's that that quiet, especially living in L.A. You know the just the dichotomy between the quiet of the mountains and and how noisy mm-hmm. it is here is very important. Um. Damn, I had more questions, but we're kind of coming up on time. I, I you know, I'll ask this because I, I did want to know um, when you're designing g- groups of people, um, you know, cultures or whatever, what mm-hmm. what kind of uh, work is going into that, like sort of research or, or ideation or whatever? Like, how are you thinking about creating different uh, groups, you know, different cultures, different? Uh, are you drawing from reality? Or are you just trying to think of like one or two things that? 
bind them together? You know, what, how does that work for you? Well, we were doing that today. We started one block and it, it was meant to be the desert and everything. And uh, we were dressing them and I'd done, um, we did go abroad and I took a loads of photos of the local crew with all their turbans and copied them. And we were setting it today and they were dressing them and they were like, I mean, it's very hot here anyway. And I was like, no, 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 no. And they were meant to be inside this this kind of scruffy old trapper's bar. And I was like, no, no, you've got to be open. It's meant to be hot. It's meant to be hot. And they said, yeah, we know it's hot. And they were, no, I went in the story, you know, and so all the colours, <laughs> textures, and they had turbans on and all that. And uh, and then we went in on the set and uh, they'd lit it. And you would think you were in the desert. It was, And I thought, yeah, that's why. And so I do a lot of research on things like that, you know, to get you always follow the script you always see what those worlds are and because the witcher has those different worlds you know whether it's hot or it's cold or um you always have to push that in the costume even though you know i had someone dressed in furs and things like that the other day and they were like oh but it's hot and i said no 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 no. when you're on the you know it's getting into that world i know it sounds very obvious but um it's really important to do those costumes to tell the story. And uh, so, yeah, all the kind of looks are really worked out through the set design as well. That's really important to see what they're going to, like when we did Care Morgan, The Witch's Home in season two, it had to, it was going to be very dark. It had to be very dark leathers and blacks. Well, only Henry's black, uh, Geralt, but browns and textures and, but then also when we had the sex workers come in, I wanted them to be like oriental and kind of bright colors, but all very worn out. Um, so creating those worlds in that set, that's where you have to push all those different looks to make it look like a different world, if, if you know what I mean, if it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And actually that is kind of a part two of a question I asked earlier, but what are you doing to costumes to have them read on camera? um appreciably because like leather could be a very flat surface you know it's it's are you texturing the leather in, in any way because with anything in film you kind of have to do 115 percent to make it look like 95 percent. you know yeah you're right i mean a lot of the fabrics we dye up a lot of the fabrics um so i was just choosing a fabric a minute ago and we do a lot of dyeing and a lot of breaking down and like Henry's armor when he had it, it was like he picked it up and so it had like a claw mark and you just really hammer it out so that it can be picked up. Um, and I think it's as we were talking earlier, making sure all the costume, all costume these days, everything looks like it's lived in. I mean, you say the matrix, but that was super shiny, but then that was yeah. a super, it was just unique, wasn't it? And uh, in fact, I was talking about a long, leather coat the other day and I turned around and I went, nah, the Matrix has done that. I can't do it. It's a certain look which still goes to the back of your head and you think, mm, that's been done. But um, yeah, it's just creating that world and things like that. Yeah. Do you, actually, that brings up an interesting point. Do you, the, the, I wouldn't call this sci-fi. The, the fantasy realm has had some really standout uh, productions. You know, obviously your Lord of the Rings is, is the main one. Do you have to av sort of mentally avoid 
looking like any of those uh, productions or does that not quite come into play as the, you know, big leather coat is pretty specific or, you know, giant red cape might be a little too obvious for something, you know, if you're making a superhero uh, film, but um, yeah. Do you, do you have to kind of like avoid other things or do you borrow yeah, even from I mean, those ones? I think I must be one of the only people who didn't watch Game of Thrones and um, I, so I many people. Oh God. So many people. I interviewed the DP yesterday. We talked for three hours and at the very end oh. I have to go, dude, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Oh my god, that's very brave of you. Um, but so many we were friends people, by then; it was all right. Oh, but um, you—I mean, obviously, I've seen images, you know, yeah, yeah. of the. But you try not to try not to look too closely. Um, yeah, because someone the other day said, "Oh, I want a costume like this," and I went, "It's from another program," and I just looked at them and I, I said, "No, I'm not going to do that. It's done." So you really do have to veer away. You have to. As people go, oh, you've just done that from so-and-so. Whether you're, whether it's intentional or not, you know, you have to be really careful because they're so iconic, these looks, from yeah. Game of Thrones and others and Star Wars. You just have to kind of get around it because you don't want to copy something. You don't want to... No, you don't want. That's not designing. That's it's, and it will. It might happen now and then, but purely by mistake. And then you have to change it quickly. Well, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's you know, it's probably why you're nominated for awards because it's <laughs> you've got original thoughts coming out of you. I'm lucky. Go figure. Very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Well, uh, we're coming up on time, so I'll, I'll let you go here pretty quick. But um, I like to end. Uh, each podcast with the same two questions. Um, so the first one being, uh, is there a piece of advice or a resource or something um, that that you either read or received that uh, has stuck with you over the years that has helped you throughout your career? A piece of advice, if I could give, if I could give a piece of advice, sure. is don't ever give up. Just follow follow your dreams. Now, how corny does that sound? But do you know what? Just just keep at it. And, you know, when people knock you down or say, you know, just keep going because you'll get there. Yeah. Uh, and the second question, perhaps a little easier uh, or not. Um, if uh, if the witch, if you're programming a double feature, which I guess is hard for a television show. But if you're programming a double feature and the witcher was one block, what do you make the second block? God, that's a hard question. <laughs> oh my lord, that is a hard one. I suppose you Doesn't... go for completely opposite, don't you? You could. Yeah, but what would you? Because if people were watching The Witcher, they'd want to watch something similar, wouldn't they? Maybe. See, this is the great thing. It's it's your Ooh. double feature. You can program it however you like. I was talking to speaking of Blade Runner. I was talking to Jeff Cronin with uh, who his dad shot it, and. Uh, I asked him, he shot being the Ricardos, and I was like, what's the other film? And he goes, uh, Alien versus Predator. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I love the pre I love Predator. It's a <laughs> film you should really love, but I love it. Every time, it makes me laugh. Um, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's a good choice. I don't know. I really don't know. That's a really difficult question to end on, isn't it? What would you... What would be your two? Well, I haven't made a movie. <laughs> what would you? All right. What would you do with The Witcher then? What would you put with oh, it? Oh, 
Um, because that is that is the ultimate question, right? Do you do the same thing or do you do a different thing? I, because it would be easy to say Game of Thrones. You know what? What would be? Let's see. I would do. You know the, those armor. Did you ever see the Chronicles of Riddick? Yeah. <laughs> that was a breeze. That was a. That was a. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's a movie. Um, but I will say. I really loved the costumes and the props in that film. The Necromonger armor looks really cool. Um, and so the armor that you made for the, because you switched up, there, there's like a group of, um, blanking on their names, but the... The Nelf God. Yeah, they're like yeah. bronze setup. Yeah, is bronze and gold. Yeah, it was so important. I did like a gothic. It's so important to uh, make them a stronger force than season one. And uh, as I said with... Eamon as car here and they had to be believable that they would literally come and kill you and that's why that armor was so important for them uh yeah that was good so so i having the through line be the armor i will pick chronicles of riddick as the uh <laughs> as the other one well, the costumes were great in that yeah that's <laughs> i actually have uh you know his uh his big swingy knives that he has <laughs> I uh, I emailed, so I was, again, teenage boy. Uh, that movie, I was like, yeah, fucking cool. Um, I emailed the director. I emailed the director, David Tui, and I go, hey, uh, what? how did you make those knives or whatever? And he got back to me in like 30 minutes and was oh, like, oh. Yeah, he was like, they're literally exacto blades, like exacto ergo handles, and this is the knife, and there you go. I asked him about the costume. He was like, I don't know, I'm not a costume designer, but this is, I know how we made the knives. Um, That's such a typical answer. When people regard costume, they're like, I don't know. But regarding props, oh, that's brilliant that he got back so to you. I have, I still have them. I oh, made them when I was 15, and yeah, still on them. So David Tui, cool oh, guy. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for, uh, chatting with me today. That was, that was a lot yeah, of fun. And I, I certainly learned a lot. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. And I probably said loads of things that will get me in trouble and people will think, <laughs> I'm weird. but I don't care. I've really enjoyed it. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much for asking me. And you're so interesting. Do you get interviewed yourself? No, I have not. Well, uh, girlfriend should interview you. There's a lot. There's a lot there that needs to be told to the world. I think she gets enough of me talking. Uh, oh, yes, I'm we sure. we live together, so she gets she just gets an <laughs> earful of this all the time. Oh, lucky girl! But well, no, thank you. Thank you so much, and um, yeah, it's great. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, congrats again, and uh, good luck with the rest of uh, season three. Oh well, oh well, thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Take care. Frame and Reference is an Owlbot production. It's produced and edited by me, Kenny McMillan, and distributed by Pro Video Coalition. Our theme song is written and performed by Mark Pelly, and the Ethanar Matbox logo was designed by Nate Truax of Truax Branding Company. You can read or watch the podcast you've just heard by going to ProVideoCoalition.com or YouTube.com slash Owlbot, respectively. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>